Sometimes what's in your heart pours out into the world, and you don't care who's around to see it. Hunter Dodd doesn't know it yet, but he's about to show all of Easley High School the love between a father and his son. They will bring on the national title next time, though. As ROTC battalion leader, Dodd led his team to a national competition, hoping one day to follow in his father's footsteps. My dad's in the Army. He's actually in Afghanistan right now, um, serving. And so we, we miss him a lot. He should be back in May. But Dodd's hero, Staff Sergeant Christopher Page, is no longer overseas. He's hiding in a classroom, waiting to surprise his son during an award ceremony after a year of being apart. The next person in our team, Captain, now takes the oath. Hold on a minute, we got somebody else who's going to help present this to Cadet Dodd, his dad. This is the moment they've both been dreaming of, but it wasn't complete without one more stop. Dodd's 12-year-old brother Chandler has no idea why the students are gathered in the gym at Getty's Middle. Father and his sons reunited. Now you gotta go back to class, you know that, right? <laughs> Dodd will tell you his family isn't a family until they're together. He doesn't have to worry about that now. So a family isn't a family until they are together. A warrior fights for his country. And that is what the Jews wanted from Jesus. He was coming down into Jerusalem, coming from Bethel, which is around the, the Mount of Olives. He's on his way into that city when he says to his disciples, I need two of you to go, and I want you to go find a donkey or a colt that has not been ridden before. I want you to bring that colt to me, and I will ride it into the city. And so they do, and this is what's, what happens as that unfolds. Luke, the physician, writes these words. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew and Mark... And John will record that in addition to what Luke just said, that they're using palm branches to celebrate him, and they're throwing their cloaks onto the ground, yelling out to him, because you see, those cloaks before him are meant for a king. Their intention is that this king warrior will come and defend them and rescue them against Roman invaders. They think Jesus can do that because you hear that he's been, they've been praising him for his miracles. They've seen him come to a woman who for 18 years has been bent over. She's crippled. And Jesus comes to her and said, your infirmity is gone. Stand up. And she stands up. There's a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and thus because she's been hemorrhaging, she is unclean continuously. Therefore, her family and friends cannot be with her, or they'll be unclean, and she cannot worship any longer. She makes her way to Jesus, fights her way to the crowd, reaches out and touches the bottom of his garment, and is instantaneously healed, and the bleeding stops. When this woman began to hemorrhage 12 years before, a synagogue ruler's wife had a baby, a daughter. Now, 12 years later, they get word to Jesus that that synagogue ruler's daughter is dying. And Jesus on his way, and when this woman is healed in the process, and Jesus is delayed, that little girl dies. And Jesus still makes his way and says, oh, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they start laughing because they said she's dead. And Jesus comes to her, and he simply says this, my child, so affectionate, my child, get up. And she does. If he can do those things in addition to walk on water and turn water into wine and tell the wind to be quiet, if he can do those things, 
then he can run out this Roman garrison, this, this, this Roman legion out of town. But he doesn't because he's first most interested in the my child more so than he is in the get up. A warrior fights for his country, but a father fights for his family. And a family isn't a family until the family is together. So the father puts on flesh and comes to this earth and he makes his way into Jerusalem and they don't recognize him. See, what they want is a Jason Bourne type guy to crash down upon some corrupt agency and they can get on with life. What they've got is a God who's going to crash down on a corrupt world because he is life. And they don't get it. Luke records this then. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. See, they think if Jesus holds a sword, they will have peace. Jesus wants them to know that if he holds them, they will have peace, even if Roman soldiers are patrolling the streets. At the incarnation, the angels sang it, and now they're repeating it. Peace on earth on whom his favor rests, glory to God in the highest. But they don't get it. They don't understand what that peace means. They're looking into heaven for a warrior. Heaven, send us a warrior. When they don't realize that heaven is there right now and the battle is already taking place. And to those who will accept this one, Jesus, to those who will put their faith in him, to those who will allow him to hold them, he will become their shield against the evil that is behind every wicked army. He will face Satan himself and let that enemy exhaust all his weapons upon Jesus even death, and Christ will even defeat that enemy of death. He will be for us, as he holds us, this wonderful, wonderful barrier, this, this, this fortress for us. And that is the only way that we have peace when the Father holds us. But they don't get it, and Jesus weeps. Because he wants to bring them the father and they just want a warrior. And the family isn't a family until they are together. Paul the Apostle says it well. To the church at Ephesus, he wrote these words, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is not some outside source streaming down some power to help us little measly humans out, but God is our Father whose very essence is presently at work within the community of believers where Jesus lives. Because our family is a family, because he has brought us together. So in our effort to find comfort, let us be very careful to recognize the comforter who already resides within us. In this holy week, let us not miss his holy presence. That his, his peace, his peace is available right now. His peace will come into our lives right now. You don't have to wait for a specific time or a specific sign from heaven. That peace is yours right now. He will enter in and bring to you that tranquility of spirit that you so desperately need. Alec Chen understands that. He's an award-winning pianist born in Hong Kong. He earned his bachelor's and master's and doctoral degrees at Juilliard. He was selected by Steinway & Sons as one of the 25 artists to perform at Carnegie Hall in the celebration of the firm's 135th anniversary. He's performed in solo recitals, chamber music, and concertos in countries such as Austria, Greece, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Poland, and Taiwan. And among the major orchestras with which he has been concerto soloist are those in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh, among others. In chamber music, he has collaborated with the Alexander String Quartet, members of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and the New York Philharmonic. He is an artist in residence and a professor at Allegheny College 
He's been teaching humanities and music courses while providing instruction to piano students among those as our own John Hamilton. He performs periodic concerts at the college and perhaps you've seen him as he's performed with the Erie Philharmonic. He currently resides in that bustling metropolis of Meadville <laughs> with his wife Brenda and his three daughters. He's here this morning on this Palm Sunday, not only to share the wonderful gifts of music that God has given him, but to share his story that he has found a walk with Jesus that saturates him every day. And he has found Jesus as a source of his peace every day. Would you please welcome this morning, Dr. Alec Chen.
Gradually, as I grew older, music was simply not enough. Many, many times as I had concerts and competitions, often right afterwards, there would be perhaps a gathering or a party. And then when I wake up the next day, consistently, as I grew older, the same question popped up. Now what? And of course, uh, when that question first came, uh, my thought was, duh, get ready for the next concert. And I did. But that question kept on nagging. The next concert, the next competition, the next morning, now what? And as it happened, the way the Lord did things in people's lives, such as that of mine, um, he brought my attention gradually but surely and firmly to the main question that really ultimately all those same questions led to, and that is to deal with my own mortality. Because ultimately, every time I think about this, it pushes till, well, now what? Now what? And now I'm getting ready, and God is ready to take me. Now what? And so as it turns out, uh, in Spain, there was a competition I went to. And make a long story short, they wanted me to come back for concert tours. And there were plane crashes at the Madrid airport right before I was to go. And uh, he was at talking my heart. I know you're thinking about now what later, but I want you to think about now what now. And not coincidentally, of course, uh, at that time I was already, I'd started teaching already at Allegheny and had met my then uh, girlfriend who became my wife later. She's a Christian and she uh, shared a little bit about who Jesus is with me. I didn't remember that. Um, not that I wasn't paying attention to what she was saying. Uh, she's sitting right there. <laughs> and this is recorded. <laughs> but I think I was a vintage sample of what Ephesians says. Before Jesus gets into our heart, we are all spiritually dead. And a dead person doesn't know he's dead. And I remember her sharing with me about looking at the Bible and so on, but it didn't mean much to me. And I, she convinced me to bring the Bible with me to this tour. And facing death, the entire tour was either a memorial concert for one of the two people I knew who died in these plane crashes or the other one. And so while reading scriptures uh, in a hotel in Madrid, I received Christ into my life. But it was one of those things that I'm um, looking back. I know some people who are searching, they, 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 they look to many things. Uh, they look to many uh, sources. And I think I equate it with people who are really hungry. They will eat junk food as well. But the real food is sometimes not that readily available or explained. Anyway, in my case, I was one of those people who really read little, if anything, about or in the Bible. But uh, I was convinced and convicted that I needed Jesus. Again, looking back at that time, perhaps it was a ticket out of hell, which obviously isn't right either. I mean, it is theologically right, but obviously when it comes to a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, it, was, it is much more than that. So I'm giving you samples of what have gone through my life since then. Um, a lot of times I learn things afterwards. I'm slow like that. And um, perhaps... The main thing that really helps me look at is this. Physically, I was actually born with a hole in my heart. 
And in those days, the surgery was not that uh, effective. By the time I was 10, I was operated on, and that heart in my hole in my heart was mended by Dr. Denton Cooley. But by the time I was in Spain with this music and with this uh, longing question and with the answer of Jesus, I realized I actually had the second hole in my heart. And that second hole everyone has. Sometimes we even notice. And I think it is because back in Genesis, once human fell, God has implanted in all of our hearts a void because of a lack of him in our lives. And we always wanted that void to be filled. And so with music, which was so much my life, it became obvious that it was not the answer. Now, a little quick history of that too. After I became a Christian, then I started looking into the Bible. Uh, as I learned, I realized, whoa, you know, when, when Jesus comes into our hearts and life, he wants all of us. I don't mean all of us per se, all of my heart, 100% of my heart, okay? So I'm thinking, wow, okay, I, I need to, I, I know what the right answer is, Lord, but uh, this was still in my head, you know. Okay, Lord, you, you're number one. So my music is now, I guess, number two. Then I got married. Oh, no, music is now number three. The first child is born. Brianna, who's with us this morning as well, music's number four. Yes, we have three daughters. Do some math. <laughs> I, is it seven or six? I lost count. So now music is like this, okay? Now, even though that seems so noble, it might have been in my heart even, I realized, you know, God was not trying to push the music down. My problem was me. I was still focusing on the music. Because, okay, so it was one, now it's two, now it's three, and now it's six. And Jesus wants us to fix our eyes on him. Okay? So, yes, the music may have gone down, but my focus shouldn't be, so to speak, on the music. And I know that's applicable to all of us who are believers in Christ. You know, we, we, I, I ask these questions. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do now, now that I'm Christian? What do you want me to do with my music? And then he pricked my heart to say, you're asking the wrong question. So now you have to understand my growth is slow on this. Okay. So, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord. All right, all right, this is a better question. What do you want me to do with your music? It's your gift to me, right? So after a while, again, I'm fast-forwarding. Then I realized that's the wrong question. He wanted me to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see the difference? All right, so he's peeling away here. And then years later, I realized that's still not the right answer, not the right question. The real question should be, Lord, what do you want me to be? And as clear as the bell and as a voice, as soon as I realized that's the question, he already gave me the answer. He said, be holy because I am holy. And then I went through a lot of, wow. Be holy because you are holy. So then I realized his reasoning too. He also even gave us a reason why we ought to be holy. And I went through these scenarios. Oh, yeah, be holy because it's good for me. Um, it is, but, you know, it's holy because then I can serve others. Yes. All of that is the terminal is still me. But he said be holy because he is holy. So his holiness came down to reach the unholy. Why? Because he's holy. It goes back to him. So this boomerang effect is something I keep on trying to learn and to really apply in my life. Okay. And the main thing about all of this is, as Pastor already mentioned, 
that what is really in the heart of God throughout scriptures. And I know a lot of times people will say the theme in the Bible is obviously Jesus. Of course it is. But the original theme really is because God wants us to be with him. It is through Jesus. So every page in the Bible, it is because I'm Lord. Or I want you to be with me. Why? Well, what kind of a father would not want the best for his kids? And when we become Christians and receive Jesus into our lives, we are now part of the family, right? He's the father. Now, he's the greatest thing around. So would it not make sense when a father wants the best for his children that he gives him the best? In God's case, it happens to be him. And that's why drawing us to him is actually love. But when he draws us to him, he has, in Jesus, brought the holiness through us, the unholy, back to him. And in a discussion recently about what I might play today and so on, uh, John mentioned that uh, there's a project I'm doing transcribing some samples from the uh, Handel Messiah for solo piano and so on. And one of them, as, as you all probably already know, a uh, beautiful recitative early on, it is called Comfort Ye for solo tenor. And the idea of comfort is this. Uh, even in English, the, the prefix C-O-N and C-O-M implies with. So once you take C-O-M out of comfort, you're now left with fort, which means strength. And then it occurred to me, wait a minute, if we're to be comforted, I think I like to interpret it more as being made comfortable. And that's just not right. Because you know why? When I'm working really hard, I'm out in the whatever, getting sweaty in, in the summer and so on. When I come back, I want to become comfortable and I'm really tired. One of the first things I would do is pro probably sit down and have something cool to drink, right? That makes me more comfortable. But then it occurred to me, well, then why would I need strength to do that? Why would I need strength to sit down and relax? <laughs> so it can only mean it isn't about me still. It's about him. With forte, with strength. In Psalm 73, God said he is our strength. Not only does he give us his strength, he is our strength. That means he gives us of himself. So theologically, comfort means with God. Okay, with God. So often we like to ask, God be with me with this. I'm praying this morning, God be with me so I'm clear and so on. He always, always nags me and says, yeah, but, but are you with me? And so it comes back to the be holy because I'm holy. And before I say more about that, I just want to share with you that little tenor uh, recitative. You're going to have to excuse me on this because uh, those who know this will know it probably from the actual Messiah score where you might have a great tenor singing this. So this is only a, a meek attempt to duplicate the tenor. But let me just read to you the text. Don't be distracted by this poor imitation of a tenor. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. It goes on to say, comfort ye several times. Sayeth your God. Here we go again. He says, therefore, is. Okay. Now, he is comforting us, not to make us, quote, comfortable, but to be with us. So comfort is kind of Emmanuel in that sense. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and everyone, and, and, and cry unto her 
that warfare, her warfare is accomplished and that her inequity is pardoned. What warfare? Are we in a war? Ah, yeah. The war for our soul. The war is between God and Satan. It is not us. Okay? So the war in me still tries to retain some of me. So Jesus is my Savior, but it's not quite my Lord. But in God's eyes, obviously the battle is won. But Satan still wants to get his lick and kick in this. So listen to this music. It is very beautiful and comforting, but it is about comfort ye. The one comforting us, while he's the one comforting us, ultimately what comforts him is actually our unity in Christ. And there are people here perhaps who have never received Christ into their hearts. And then there are people here who have. And I, as one family member of God's family, want to apologize to those who have seen hypocrisy. It's rampant. John 17 is a prayer that Christ prayed that perhaps has yet been totally answered. What was the saying this morning? A family is not a family? Yep, until it's all put together. So as family members of God's family, he has told us to be holy because he is holy. And in my case, and I always, I don't want to think about others. You know, it's, it's about my heart. I have a funny story about this too, about heart and cardiologists. Think about it. When you, let's say you have a, you, you have a heart checkup, you go see a cardiologist make an appointment, he or she does the examination, okay? And then afterwards, there's your um, assessment, the diagnose. And you go in the office and you ask the cardiologist, how's my wife's heart? Or how's my neighbor's heart? If you do that, 
what will the cardiologist say? Or even worse, if he tells you that's illegal, if you think about it. He would be in serious water. But we do that, I know I do that when my heart is not totally contrite. I, I, I go to God and I, the, he, he tells us about teachings and so on, how to be, and my heart immediately goes to certain people I have in mind who might not be that. And he, he keeps on saying, no, no, no. The appointment is about you. I don't want to talk about somebody else. And so that's my challenge for myself. And perhaps it is with a lot of others as well. That in, in a week, everywhere, not just here, we'll be celebrating Jesus on the cross and, of course, the resurrection. And he has asked us to die to ourselves. And as our youngest daughter once said when she was like five, you know, I noticed we can't die halfway. She was right. And so this morning, I just want to share what's in my heart in terms of the current walk. And he has been pricking my heart the last few weeks about uh, fasting. I've never fasted. Uh, I also have... It's a, uh, what is it? When I don't eat, sometimes I get faintish. There's the word for that. Anyway, I'll ask the Lord to guide me, you know, because the option is not whether to fast. Jesus says, when you fast, you X, Y, and Z. So I haven't done that. So pray for me about that. And as I ask Pastor Jack to come back to um, close for us, I just want you to pray for me, and I, we ought to pray for each other for the unity in Christ. Because he is worthy, not because of our effort. Thank you. Can you do one more? Yeah, sure. Can you do one more? Sure. We're not going to let him go. I told him he's got to do at least one more. I will do it if you promise me that it's about Jesus, not about Chopin, or certainly not about me.
Remain standing. I'm glad that camera was back there because I kept checking to see how many hands he really has. <laughs> uh, Dr. Chen, thank you and your family. Thank you for being with us today. Whether you are a concert pianist, driver for a tow truck company, or you serve lunches to our students, Dr. Chen made an amazing statement. He just said, with God, the appointment is about you. And I think more than anything, as we talked about this coming day, he wanted to be able to portray what he has done such, in such an excellent way that it's all about you and Jesus. And if you have questions about the relationship with Jesus, there's plenty of us around here to, to walk with you on your journey to help you under, uncover that. He said he was a slow learner. We all are. And so we'll be glad to walk with you on that journey. So please call our office, see one of us after this gathering. Um, if you came with somebody who invited you that's part of this community of faith, just say, hey, how do I get to know more about Jesus? They'll walk you through it. Because that's why we're here on a journey together. So let me pray a blessing on you now. As you enter into this holy week, May your eyes be opened to the magnitude of God's love for you. May your faith grow to begin to encompass all that he wants to do in you and through you. May you feel his breath, his spirit blow upon you. And may you walk in peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.